Hello, Jack, my friend. Hello, Andy. How are you? Very well. It's been quite a while, hasn't it, since it, you've done this? It has, yeah. It's been a fair few months. It's good to be back. It certainly is. <laughs> <laughs> so, what have you been up to lately? Let's not re-trawl the last three months or whatever it's been. What um, have you been up to recently? We've been doing a tour of Star Seekers. Who's we? That's me and the Wardrobe Ensemble. Cool. And we're also making a new one, Deep Sea Seekers. The Deep Sea Seekers. Um, which is going to be fun. And what highlights have you, what, what places have you toured to? Uh, we went to Sheringham. Sheringham? Yeah, we got an ice cream at the seaside. Where is Sheringham? It's in, it's like in East Anglia. Right. It's like, the, it's like the, the kind of the curve at the bum of the UK. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason I just thought it was in Nottinghamshire because of, sounds like it's Sherwood Forest, Sheringham. Sounds like it should be part of that. I'm not saying that you're wrong. I don't wrong. think it's miles away from there. I, I don't know my, my maps at all. Anyway, Geograph Andy... Geography what, is the what, word you're looking for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, what have you been up well, to? I've, well, I've just done the Bristol Improv Marathon 2019 uh, a couple of days ago. So that was a 26-hour improvised show at the Bristol Improv Theatre. What was the theme? The theme uh, was t Channel 26, a live TV studio. And I played a security guard. And it was pretty funny. It was pretty funny and it was pretty wacky. And did as you always. do the whole thing? I did the whole thing, bar the kids episode, which I slept through. And I passed out at about four o'clock in the afternoon for about half an hour, I think, as well. Uh, but bar that, I did the whole thing, yeah. Well along, done. With, along with quite a few others. It was a very well attended uh, marathon. Even in the middle of the night? Even in the middle of the night, yeah. We had, and we had a um, big shout out to Jacob from Birmingham, or lives in Birmingham, who came down and watched the whole thing for the second year running. Wow. So that's pretty amazing, isn't nice it? Nice one, Jacob. Nice one, Jacob. We'll make that the subtitle of this episode. <laughs> um, okay, is that enough about me and you? Yeah. Probably? Yeah. So I'm very pleased to say that this episode, we are joined by Megan Clark Bagnall, visual artist and social maker. Hello, Megan. Hello. Are you American? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't quite hear myself, so... Oh, I I'm, see. No, I can hear myself. You don't need to change the levels. The I'm levels are okay. I'm just not used to... To this. Right. I couldn't hear myself before I spoke. Oh, I see. Well, naturally. Because <laughs> I'm wearing headphones, right. you know? Yeah, like, yeah. So I don't yeah. know why I did that like that. Sorry. Don't worry about it. You know, we all do crazy <laughs> things. There's a lot of pressure here. In the, we should point out for the benefit of the listener that we, re we record everything at sort of knife point so that we really make our guests feel on edge, which forces them to do crazy things. Anyway, uh, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. You are uh, obviously our first visual artist and social maker that we've had. Yeah. So we're going to have all kinds of questions about what that means and about what kind of work you've done. Yeah. Um, but let's, if we can, go right back to before you trained, um, yep. before you before you went to university, etc., um, and how you found your artistic inspiration and what were the sort of things that... Oh, led you to question. make yeah what got you on the path I guess that is a good question um so I uh recently actually which helped me realize what that was I recently wrote a letter to myself to my eight-year-old self right to tell my eight-year-old self what I'm doing now wow. because my eight-year-old self wouldn't know that this is a thing yeah yeah that I'm doing so um, so I wrote a letter to my eight-year-old self and through doing that, I think I realised what and why and how it happened. And I guess, um, so like I was always interested in art and I was never really that academic and really liked like 
performing and being silly and making up circus games and silly things at school. But I never really knew, like, I wasn't the best drawer in the class and I wasn't the best ballet dancer in my ballet class. And, you know, like, so I just thought, like, well, you know, I don't have this overriding thing that, like, these other people in my class did. Mm. Like, Adam Bond, he was, like, the best drawer, so he was going to be an artist. (laughs) And, you know, like, I didn't have those things. So I just thought, well, you know, I don't know what I'll do. Maybe I thought I'll work at Safeway or maybe I thought I'll... um, like, I quite wanted to be a firefighter, but I realised when I had my first asthma attack that was not possible. Right. So, like, these things <laughs> are going out. But then I think it was about year four um, in Miss Morrison's class at yeah. school. Yeah. Um, she said to me one day, like, we did this painting class, she said, can I keep your painting and take wow. it home because it matches my bed, my new bedspread? Right. And I want to put it in my bedroom next to my new bedspread. And I was like, oh, my God. I told everybody. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, yeah. And I think that was when I started thinking I might be an artist. Yeah. Um, but I always, I, I think I always knew it would be in a different way because I always knew I wasn't the best drawer. But maybe that started having conversations with adults and with other people around me that you don't have to be the best person at drawing mm. to be an artist and there's other ways and so I think that it started unlocking me thinking about those things yeah. at quite a small like primary school age I think in a really small way I didn't know what I would be or what I'd do but the sort of passion was maybe started to be ignited there yeah I always wanted to make things look nice that was always what I was interested in I think right. that's where the visual artist thing comes comes from even though I do things that are like semi-performative or like you know quite multimedia like I'm always interested in things having quite a nice aesthetic quality mm. and not not discounting that and to me actually like kind of start saying that now I'm an adult more like my mom and dad when I was little be like it's not practical you have to wear this fleece or whatever this is a practical this is practical I'll just hit the microphone <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) It's a practical thing to wear um, or whatever. And then recently in my adult years, I was like, well, actually, like, to me, aesthetics are a practicality. Mm. Like, it's like, right, recently I bought a fridge and I was like, well, my fridge is, like, on show. Uh, Yeah, So in my kitchen, it's not in a cupboard. Yeah. So, all right, I want it to, like, keep my stuff cool, but I want it to look nice because I'm going to see it every day. Yeah, yeah. And so, in a way, aesthetics are a practicality. Yeah. (laughs) As vain as that sounds. No, no, no. But not, you know, like, yeah. So, I think that, yeah. I don't know if that's answered your question. No, no. I think think it's thrown up an interesting line of thought for me is that you mentioned sort of aesthetics being a part of, you know, a a kind of value principle of your work. Yeah. When when did you start to marry kind of the practice of, of creation of what you do alongside? kind of how you judge it do you know what I mean so yeah what what you were looking for in your work was that kind of prior to going to university when you started to develop I guess taste yeah. in what you liked and what you didn't like yeah um I think I was always interested in that as a kid like making things look nice was yeah. really important and that carried on just in different ways um you know then when I was yeah like a bit in between like I started to think about fashion and things like that more and then interior design so always been really interested in things looking exciting and things being used in different ways um I don't know I think that's also like maybe not so much about just practice just about like what I like yeah like you say like taste I guess and letting that kind of govern what yeah and not being afraid to let that govern that as well Mm. I think can be a bit like well yeah I do like that and so did that carry on into 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 university yeah yeah it did actually like so I went to art college and um 
yeah, I was always still really interested in things feeling like they looked nice and having nice outcomes when even maybe when it wasn't quite cool for that to be like that. Mm. You know, like it's probably quite cool to not wear makeup and to have this like kind of like quite natural, like, you know, like you're, and I was still like, oh yes, wear loads of makeup. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> like, I don't know, like, but within everything. Yeah. And then with my practice as well, like it was always really like, oh, well, how does that look? That's really important to me was, was, was the thing. So, um, so can you tell us a bit about, about your college experience and, and uni and where you studied? And what, what yeah, so I, I went to Dartington College of Arts and I went through clearance, wasn't going to go originally. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't think that there was anything... I really wanted to do and I thought oh, I'll just probably just get a job and figure out what I'm going to do and then like last minute it got like really itchy feet because I was really like, realizing I was going to have to start working in Safeway and I was like right, I'm going <laughs> I'm going to Darlington I got in through clearance and had an interview and I showed them this weird video that I made and they were like okay you can come and then I went and it was great it was the best best thing ever I did a course called um, visual performance which like changed its name to fine art and then in brackets contemporary practices um uh, there were like 12 people in my class mm. um so and most people who go to Darlington I think do like the like the contemporary theatre course or there's a music course and so my class was quite small and we it was like a mi- multimedia course where you would explore live art performance art and fine art and where those worlds mix and match so for me it felt really good place for me to be mm. um and there were quite some quite extreme artists like in my class, like people like like quite outwardly doing like quite funny, like not funny. Um, people would do kind of like almost like self harm on stage kind right, of things right, yeah. as well as like funny things yeah. as well. So so quite, quite an extreme mix. and broad yeah canvas of of work. But it was a really good time to play yeah. and explore. And like, I think one of my favourite like situ- like things when I think about it now is our teacher one day, she came in, she was like, right, okay, I'd like everyone to just... And she was smoking. <laughs> We're inside. She's like, I'd like everyone to just like lie down on the floor on this side of the barn because our studio is like a barn. Yeah. And she was like, and now like, I just want you to just roll like right. as slowly as you can, like from that side of the room to the other side of the room. And then she left. <laughs> and, and I was the first person to finish that race. Because right. we started at like half nine, our lessons used to start. And it was like going on for 12 o'clock and I was getting real hungry. And um, I was just like, sod this, I want my veggie sausage sandwich from the canteen. So I real sped it up and got the other end. And then, um, yeah, and then it was a bit like, I was like, oh, I did it first. You know, it's like, <laughs> lo- the, it was like losing a race. Yeah, yeah, I want it, yeah. you know, like, yeah. But so, I f- think about that. So um, so when you study any kind of arts-based course, what what's the balance between learning good craft versus developing how to think imaginatively and actually be creative? And what was the balance like at Dartington, you know? Because it, I guess you've kind of got free reign in your own yeah. work. It's very subjective into... Yeah what is good, what is bad, you know, what was the, what was the approach like? I don't know if you can teach people to think creatively and imaginatively. I think everybody has that ability and you can choose whether you want to unlock that or not. Mm -hmm. I don't know if art, maybe art culture can play a part in that, but I think that what it 
what what for me it did is it was like a test bed like you know you're not in you're not making work that people are judging right now mm. you can explore whatever you want to explore and that's what makes it really exciting mm. and um i don't know what come over the question sorry well i, I guess it's in, in, are they sort of teaching you to be a visual artist or are they teaching you to explore your creativity and be critical of yourself yeah. and that sort of thing. I've given you a binary choice there. I'm sure yeah, yeah. it's more complex than that, but but broadly speaking. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that you are it, it's a place where they're teaching you to teach yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And find yourself. Yeah. Like in that, that wanky so way. Find did yourself. You, but like it is like that. So okay. did you leave Dieterton thinking that you had kind of got on the path and no, out. I feel like I left Dartington thinking I was like just just starting right. to like open my eyes yeah, and realise where I was because I'd spent so long. I threw myself into every bit of that course. Yeah, like yeah. I do the rolling around on the floor. I do like the live art. We do the we used to draw with our eyes closed. I do all of these things, and every one I'd really throw myself into. Mm. And then I left being like, oh right, I kind of like started to think I really never really went there thinking I was really that into performance and came out thinking I was quite like into exploring performance yeah, yeah. but also a bit confused because I knew that I didn't want to be an actor and I knew that I didn't want to play characters mm. I didn't mind taking on characteristics when I'm doing a show but in my work now I'm always Megan Clark Bagnall mm, mm. even if I'm taking on characteristics of something else mm. I'm never like pretending to be a character and so I think that that was where I was really confused I guess conflicted when I left. I was like, well, really interested in the live art, but not doing just like live art in this in this context specifically. Yeah. And so like being like wanting a little leap bed from there. And then I guess I moved to Liverpool after Dartington, got a job in Warrington SCS on the complaints desk. And then I got a job as, as an event designer because it paid really well. And I've just had a, a real job offered to me. So I took it and then that allowed me some finances and some food for thought, I think, and a bit of time. And I started um, thinking, yeah, I want to do more performance in mm. some way and find out what that is. And so I signed up to the Masters at Lipper in Liverpool and um, in contemporary theatre and I could pay for it because I was doing this job. Yeah. So I was working like six, seven days a week, most weeks, because I'd be working Monday to Monday to Friday in the events. Most events would be at the weekend. My course was Saturdays and Sundays. So <laughs> I'd try and have wow. one day off. So it was intense. It was really yeah, intense. Yeah. And that was for like two and a half years. So I did that course. And through doing that, I think it made, like allowed me to explore. Like I said to Steve Buckwald, who's a lecturer on that course, like straight away, a guy from America, like I'm not really, I don't want to be a, performer as such I don't, don't definitely don't want to be an actor I don't know what I want to do and he mm. was like well I think you just carry on doing what you're doing <laughs> it's like, so but just explore that a bit more and it was really good like and it was it basically allowed me more time to feel like I didn't have that pressure again of yeah. a commission and people yeah, watching yeah. you and judging you and meriting you because you could just explore and yeah. like that's what it was about yeah great Jack have you got any questions I suppose I wanted to ask like how you said the word live art quite a few times. Oh, and, yeah. And I know that people get confused about performance art and live art and what the differences are. I wonder if you could do a quick sort of summary of that. I don't know. I was talking about them as the same as well, actually. Okay. What would you say the difference is? Ooh, I, don't, I mean, I don't really know. In my head, performance art is like somebody going on stage and 
they're not playing character. They're very much themselves. Yeah. Like you said. Um, but there's like some rules that they yeah. that they stick to. And then live art, I, I sort of maybe see it as a wider umbrella. Yeah. That encompasses like very contemporary strange theatre and yeah. like somebody sitting next to their painting as part of the art. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, the, and, the, and I, in my head, live yeah. art's a wider umbrella, but I might be completely wrong. Does, does that I, Yeah, no, I don't, I don't know. I think that's a really good question too. Maybe someone could let us know what the difference <laughs> is between live art. I guess the, the lines are blurred, aren't they? Yeah. Some, the, it, I guess one thing can encompass both of those yeah. Yeah. terms, broadly speaking. Yeah. I saw a piece by an artist called Claude, Claude Levesque in the Pompidou in Paris in my last year at, in Darlington when we had this year where it's called your Contextual Inquiry Project and you go off and you explore places. And I went to the Pompidou and I saw this piece and it was, I remember thinking, well, that's kind of like live art, but you're the, you put yourself as being the performer when you walk into it. And it's this amazing installation where you walk in and so those are like trumpets playing and it's one person at a time can go into this massive room in the top of the Pompidou and you walk down this sort of like catwalk and these mesh curtains blow into you and you can smell it's like you're in a perfume advert you can smell the perfume and as you walk like the floor lights up ahead of you as you go and then you walk out again but you're in that room on your own you could do whatever you know you want to do yeah and it is a piece that is live about you. Like at the, those curtains follow you, that smell comes with you. And it's, you know, like, I guess it's a bit like that. I'd say that's live art. So maybe. And then like performance performance art, I guess. I don't know. When I, I guess if I'm talking about my practice, I'd use the terms both live art and performance art because normally I'm creating a place where the audience become participants without realising they've become participants. They become live in the, in the art. Mm. But then at the same time, quite a lot of the time, I'm hosting that dialogue and that room as me. And I'm sort of performing, but I'm not, but I'm there and I'm leading. So it's kind of like, I, I kind of, I don't really know where, what to call it or where to put it. Yeah, but yeah. maybe it's, that's why I, why I use both terms a lot. Yeah. But I, that doesn't answer your question. Well, I think... No, it's, I, I, it sounds good though. I like... Yeah, I mean, I'm just fascinated by the sort of multi-sensory level of of that in general of any kind of live art you know you talked about the, yeah. the piece you saw in Paris and, and some of your some of your own work I know from experience having been involved in some of it you know there's, yeah. there's a multi-sensory aspect to it which I think is one of the th- things that makes live art performance art differentiate from you know traditional theatre or there can be multi-sensory elements to yeah. that but but you know you talk about touch and smell and you know yeah. things lighting up when you move past them etc etc and also the the level of the involvement of the audience exactly like they're yeah. not just sitting in a seat watching a thing going on they're like in it and and the level of of, of yeah. choice within the audience to engage with something yeah. or not you know and yeah. actually that's huge then it becomes a discovery of yourself as an audience member and what your your yeah. relationship to the thing is. is anyway we must take a break um so when we come back we'll have more with megan clark bagnor in part two of this episode. That was good, wasn't it? Great. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Bristol Prologue. John, birds or mice? Mice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's a a classic thing, you're a director when when you say you are one and people follow you, and that's how you sort of find your style. By the time we got to France, we met uh, a British bank robber 
who was heading back to the UK to hand himself in and he sold us a uh, De Chaveau 2CV Citroen car for 80 quid. <laughs> for all previous episodes, head to bristolprologue.com. Plus, you can now follow us on iTunes or via your podcast provider. Okay, welcome back, uh, the listener. Welcome back. We're joined by Megan Clark Bagnall, visual artist and social maker. We're also joined by my co-host Jack Drury. Hello. Hello. Hello, Megan. Hello, Hello. Jack. Hello. So, before the break, we were just talking about your kind of learning experiences and how you got into what you're doing. And now let's talk about some of your projects. So, you know, yeah. carte blanche. What, what, what were the sort of key projects that you've undertaken in the last few years and what did you, what did you learn from them? Et cetera, okay, et so I guess like... The first project that I did is one that you were involved in, actually, that kind of like decided how I was going to make work moving forwards. So I guess I'll just talk about that really briefly because then it makes sense. And then I I might be able to share some memories. Yeah, you can chip on in. (laughs) Um, So I I made a project uh, called Pool in the Pool, which uh, was the result of an artist's residency that I did in Crewe. And uh, I was working with a group of 17-year-old kids and realised from spending a lot of time with them in Cruise Swimming Pool um, and around Crew that what they loved doing was playing pool in the youth club and then swimming in the pool on Saturday mornings. And so I kind of had already gone to this project with the idea of pool in the pool in all honesty, but I had a conversation with them at the start of the residency and it, it was just like really exciting because it felt really like an actual natural collaboration it wasn't like I was forcing this idea they were like this is really good this is what we do so I made them all helmets look like pool balls (laughs) and we resulted in this live art show where we had the two mayors of crew playing pool in the balcony cafe and then like a live feed of the pool game being sent into two tv screens in the spectators box which is like a traditional old swimming pool where the spec you know have the balcony that overlooks the victorian pool and so they were inside the spectators box looking at the tv screens of a game of pool that was being played live behind them in the cafe and then down in poolside, I was poolside with um, a walkie-talkie and being instructed on how to direct the swimmers wearing helmets to be pool balls. Yeah, and so out the, a game the, of pool. the swimming pool is kind of replicating the actual game of pool pool happening. Yeah, and people were watching <laughs> both happen yeah. at the same time. They're watching both. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. That, so it's very. And then we did a kind of small scale version of that, yeah. right? In Bristol. So then I met you. And, uh, and your world th- changed completely it forever. It did, now I'm here. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, then I, well, basically, because I have been making lots of projects and all of the projects I make are, like, social and, like, very literal and a bit funny and a bit ridiculous. And then I'd mo- only moved to Bristol, like, the year before, or six months before that project. Mm. And then the whole time I've been in Bristol, I hadn't really been in Bristol because I've been in crew doing this residency for, like, months which resulted in that and had loads of other things along the way that we did. But anyway, so when I moved to Bristol, I was like, well, people don't... I've never made or shown work here and, like, a lot of Dartington people come to Bristol, but I'd gone to Liverpool and been there for a really long time. So when I came, I was like, well, I need to kind of show and make some work here and just feel like this is this is my home and this is to, yeah, show some stuff. And so... Um, 
I'd met Hannah Clark, who is the director of Bristol Biennial uh, before, and we'd become quite good friends. And she was part of Bristol Diving School, which is like a collective of artists that changed yearly, that took over an old diving school that came from Bar Ashton. Mm. And they would do different art shows there. And I was like, I would love to do it here because it's waterside and it'd be really funny to do pool out of the pool. Mm. And um, so we kicked off the exhibition with a um, a live performance yeah, yeah. of pool out of the pool and you were a pool ball. I was a ball, Which yeah. number were you? Do you remember? Are you oh, green? Mate, oh, God, I don't know. I've got a <laughs> I don't remember because this is going, this is like 2012, I think. Yeah, that's 2012. Yeah. And we had like, so I had a miniature pool table for that and then the audience came and they could pick... Um, we picked two people to play the game of pool on like a really miniature pool table. Yeah. And then you were in the other room um, and I'd marked out like the nets and everything. And we did pool out of the pool shot for shot. And then um, the audience would start sitting down watching the miniature pool around this miniature pool table. And then they could kind of come between the two spaces yeah. as they wanted to see. And then... Um, and then we had like a a nineteen nineties themed like pool party. Yeah, yeah. Into the, late I into the night with yeah. um, DJ Love, which is jazz who did carpet disco bingo with, and we had slush puppy machines and hot dogs, vodka slush puppies and hot dogs. It I was think. it was great fun. It was fun. It was, it was really it was yeah. a good way to meet lots of new people for me as well because I yeah. only, only recently moved back to Bristol. So that was that project. What were the big learning points from that? What did you kind of so yeah like, take forward from that? So I guess really from like pool in a way, like that was like quite an archived project that I just got out to be like, I'm here, hello. Um, but I think what, what I got out of that is thinking like I loved, I love the conversations and the dialogue that happen around that. And mm. I love um, where mainstream like smashes into art. Mm. And that's one thing that I think I've always like struggled against because I like went to art college being an artist who, like I say, was interested in things looking really nice. Yeah. I like love watching Coronation Street. Like I don't you know what I mean. Like I'm not. I'm someone who's just like, like you know, most someone, I'm someone who has a television, yeah. and like I do like exist in a mainstream culture yeah. as yeah. well as as well as really appreciate appreciating good art yeah and like I like those worlds to be really accessible to everybody yeah. so I think what I got from that is being like not afraid to just be like be confident and be me in a really mm. corny way like mm. actually like being confident to be me I think that mm. was the thing and being confident to have conversations with other people and realizing that they will like that they will they will accept that that's okay and that actually you can get such rich lush things from that mm. um so i and i wanting wanting to carry on make work with and for people and set up frameworks for things to unfold within so within that framework it was setting up a pool table and then moving forward it's always been about setting up frameworks for dialogue so then moving on uh i guess a later project is needle in the haystack which is a project i still tour which is where i build a haystack out of people's shredded worries and anxiety I destroy them in the Viking P20 strip cut paper shredder <laughs> and I add them to a handful of hay and I build a haystack 
And when the haystack reaches two metres tall, I invite everyone back for a search party. And I ask them to wait for a sign. And then the sign is me roller skating into into the haystack. And then we search for an actual needle in an actual haystack. (laughs) Rounded, health and safety, (laughs) but an actual needle. And um, yeah, I spur them on. So like I'll have some carbon copies of some people's worries who if they're happy for me to keep and to display them on this wall so that people can see other people's anxiety and things that eat them up. And it kind of, some people want you to keep a carbon copy of that to to show Mm, mm. because it's something quite therapeutic within that and other people want to shred both so the carbon copies that I have I read out so I'm like keep searching we're searching for Sharon who's worried she's not going to lose two pounds at Weight Watchers this week keep searching keep searching for John he's lost his phone (laughs) keep searching you know so I say these things as people search and then when we find the needle in a haystack normally search time is about two and a half minutes actually with a massive group of people Mm. in a two meter tall like five foot haystack when we find the needle, we um, I crown the finder with a crown and then um, I uh, play Celebrate Good Times by Stevie Wonder on like a little speaker and get yeah. them to lead everyone in a car in a conga to a carver and, and cake stand. And so <laughs> that is <laughs> that's a project that I still tour and do in all sorts of different art spaces or shopping centres or whatever. Um, but I guess it relies on me having a firm structure and a framework mm that then you can have loads of interesting conversations and it's always be a little bit different each time. Mm. And so I think that that's kind of what that... Um, that, that project itself sounds like a really two-way thing in that you're you're kind of learning a lot about about it as, you, as it goes along. But yeah. it also sounds like quite a cathartic experience, obviously, for the people taking part in it. Yeah. So th- with that project and, and your other work, is there kind of a stated aim that you will maybe have privately that... You know, this this process will enable the audience, the the participants, yeah. to you know uncover X, Y, and Z feelings. It got it's got sort of a community yeah. feel to it. Yeah. in that if I, I think, if I'm thinking about yeah, it correctly, yeah, and I think part of it is people not knowing it's art until afterwards. Yes, that's part of it. Yes. I think if you say art, it can be quite alienating to yeah, a lot of people, yeah, yeah. and so it's about like making a project and doing like people buy into the strangest things mm. without. Um, a lead up to it actually mm. and it's being about not being afraid to do that mm. like people will come up because it's visually striking that I'm in this massive pink and yellow shop with a haystack being built and I'm wearing this outfit and I look like I'm like a children's tv presenter <laughs> and they'll come and they'll say what are you doing and yeah. I'll just be like I'm building a haystack and I'll be like what and I'll be like out of people's worries do you have things that you're worried yeah. about and they'll go oh right uh yeah and then I'll be like well what you do is you just write it down and then I'll just shred it in the p20 strip cut paper shredder and they're like oh great (laughs) and it's weird like people get in like that and and then afterwards they realize they're part of an art project Mm. and you quite often have people going oh you know I really enjoyed doing that I Mm. loved that that was great I guess it challenges what people's perception of what art can be but also I think there's a natural intrigue about something something different, something unusual happening in front of you. And because your work doesn't, because it doesn't have any pretense, it's got a strong truthfulness about yes. it because it's you, it, it, it's easy to engage with. And I like the fact that something that my work is often kind of a marriage of is pop culture. Yes, yeah, yeah. With with contemporary issues, but it's there's a slickness to it, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, or, definitely. Or at least a, at least a, you know, a tested working method of integration of pop culture and yeah. you know fine art or whatever you might call it and that that's the key for it I suppose yeah because people aren't afraid because they don't it, it's, it is accessible and there's a reference point yeah. you know if you dress like a tv 
show host, then someone knows what that means and can interact with it. Yeah, easily. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. It's setting up a framework, and that is what you do in theatre. You set up a frame, yeah. like literally, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Like a, a theatre frame, you set that up. So, how have you like tested that framework, and have you experimented with that framework in in the work that you've done? Or is, you know... Um, yeah, I think it changes all the time. Mm. Like, each project has a different framework and sometimes it's just, like, a set of rules or a goal or something. And it might... Does that does that tie into a different aim as such for the for the project, for the piece? Um, I think the aim... I don't know what the aim of... Maybe it's a bad question. practice is. <laughs> no, I think it's just... Maybe as an artist, you know, yeah, that's what you're always searching for is why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, what, yeah. You, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, but sometimes it's so, okay to discover the meaning after the event. Yeah, right? oh, definitely. And that, that's part of it. Yeah, you know, time. definitely. Yeah. I think that it's, it's also about just... Um, I, f- I do think as an, art- as an artist, your job is a bit like a journalist. It's to notice what you notice and report on what you see Mm. and um and I think that like you're constantly questioning stuff essentially even if it's in really small ways and that's like a really big social responsibility Mm. Um, I've got a question what kind of places do you take your work and uh, have there been any pieces that you've done that have sort of changed where you usually take things so I normally make work and then I'll take work. So normally, like, I'll make something as part of quite a thorough process with a group of people and then I might package that up and take it somewhere else. Like, that's what happened with Needle in the Haystack. So I made that for Bristol Biennial in uh, the gallery's shopping centre. But then that framework works so well that I've taken it to a variety of different places like quite rural places like Radstock and um, where else Liverpool actually as well um so to different arts festivals for that for that piece um and also to different events car boot disco bingo similar actually we made that for punch bowl festival which is a friend's small small festival when it, the first year it was going could you um, tell the listeners a bit about that because I know what that is I've seen it have but, you? Yeah. Uh, um, Carboot. Yeah. Uh, surely uh, you've done it. I've Jesse done it Meadows several party. times. Birthday, of yeah. course, yeah. I've yeah. never won, which I'm very, you know, disappointed Have about. you not? I've won prizes, but I've never been the, the overall winner. Yeah. Despite maybe three or four, you three know, Three or four attempts. attempts. Yeah. You'll have to get your cards lined up. That's what people in Preston do when we go there. They get ten cards and they're dabbing them all. <laughs> they're, wow. they're bingo aficionados. Yeah. So Carboot Disco Bingo is an interactive disco dance bingo game. I am Bingo Meg and Jasmine Lovey's is Disco Jazz. And um, we used to do it all the time out of the boot of our car. We still do sometimes, but we can now have got a cardboard car. So quite a lot of the time we just do it on a stage with a cardboard car. And um, we, our prizes are from car boot sales and also from pound shops. And it's basically bingo and every number has a corresponding disco dance move. So the audience all get given a dabber and a bingo slip. And then I am blindfolded so I cannot see a thing. I cannot cheat and I put my hand into the bingo ball machine. I take out a ball with a number on it. If you have that ball with that number on it, you shout disco. And we all learn the dance move that corresponds to that number. 
and we stop the game when we get a full house so we'll have a disc, different disco dance routine each time to go through and we'll also um stop for lines just like in the gala for one line across or two lines across and you can get a different a badger or a lolly that's, that's that in a nutshell yeah. it's great fun. <laughs> it's such a fun thing everyone gets on board with it and the, the moves are all sort of quite 90s yeah right <laughs> yeah they, they sort of remind they me of that, of that superman <laughs> yeah. song you know where there's a different bit and it's like put your lipstick on and yeah. brush your hair that's sort of yeah thing. yeah I sound like there Alan is Partridge. <laughs> and we do have a couple of moves that are like child friendly and non-child friendly that we switch out as well depending on the on audience because we do a lot yeah. of school discos we went through a phase of doing a lot of school discos yeah because we made it by we made it for that festival as, yeah. as like what a one-off and thought it wouldn't go any further and then we got lots of bookings from that festival and then we just carried on so we never promote it but we do a lot of private parties and yeah. weddings and discos and family well, events and that leads me on nicely to say how do we find out more about your work and where do we go if we would, would like to work with megan.com Oh, thanks. <laughs> uh, so my website is www.workwithmegan.co.uk right. and it's a very basic website. I've just updated it. I was recommended to look at your website for how to update my website and it was very useful. Really? Yeah, Who recommended that? It was uh, Tom, uh, Tom and Verity Tom. Tom oh, Spencer. wow. Tom Spencer. He was like, Megan's got a great website. Really? Yeah. There you go. But I it's, just... great. it's great. But I actually only just changed it and I didn't tell him I changed it. I don't think no, my website was, was. It was It was a while ago. But I yeah. think the reason is because I'm a bit of a multidisciplinary artist. And he was like, you should look at Megan because she does a lot of different things. Oh. And look at how does she express that on her website. That's really there good. You go. so I didn't see, think see Megan's website. Oh. So Tom Spencer thinks your website's great. <laughs> so do I. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's nice. an interesting point. Um, so I think we're probably running out of time, but Jack, have you got any final questions? Um, we need to do a quick fire round. Oh, we do, need, we do a quick fire round. Okay. So the quick fire round, yes, this is a long held tradition. <laughs> um, so the quick fire round is, uh, as it sounds, quick fire questions, probably not related to your work, <laughs> probably related to personal taste on okay. certain things. Um, and I don't plan these, so they might be rubbish. Um, but let's go with... Well, we need to do the kind of drum roll oh, yeah. intro. Megan, can you sort of hum us a little tune? <laughs> <for> <laughs> Very good. That's the music for the quickfire round. So let's say... <laughs> right. You, no, no, no delaying. You must pick one or the other. Okay. CD or vinyl? Vinyl. Cinema or theatre? Cinema. Oh, you can't change your mind. <laughs> um, cold, wintry, snowy day, hot. Hot. S- w- straight away, hot. You didn't even know what the alternative was. I hot don't care. Um, cats or dogs? Dogs. I don't, I'm allergic to cats. I really definitely would be dogs. I don't know why I said it's Decisions made thing. for you. Um, lasagna or fish and chips? Fish and chips. Obviously. That was too easy. Jack, have you got any? Um, uh, cheese on toast or beans on toast? Cheese on beans on toast. Ooh. Oh, we'll, we'll allow that. <laughs> and that concludes the quick fire round. <laughs> okay, well, maybe we should finish every episode with a quick fire round from now on. Yeah. Who knows? No, because it means that people will listen all the way to the end. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, Megan. That's Thanks been for really fascinating. Me. It was really nice. Yeah, it was really, really interesting. And, you know, I'm going to check out the website for multiple reasons now. Um, and we look forward to taking part in your next project Thanks. very, very soon. Thanks Thank you, so Megan. Much. 
Bristol Prologue is produced and hosted by Jack Drury and Andrew Kingston. For all inquiries, email bristolprologue at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Bristol Prologue and subscribe via iTunes or your podcast provider. <laughs>